This is OBS Radio, a service of OBS International, a division of Greater Works Business Services. Good evening. This is part two of our series of lessons on forgiveness, which is part of another series of lessons on current uh, topics. Um, ideally, these two lessons would have been presented at the same time, since the second lesson depends a bit on the first. Uh, second down from ideal would have been to present these lessons a week apart. Uh, we had them a month apart with a hurricane in between, so I'm not sure where that puts us on the scale, but I am, uh, the, the handout's being passed around again for those who may not have it from our first lesson. So if you weren't here for the first lesson and you feel like we're kind of starting right in the middle, you're exactly right. We are starting right in the middle. And um, the first lesson, um, I think, would be helpful for this, uh, but we can't repeat all of that. Um, the question we're going to look at tonight is one we were leading up to at the end of class last time, but we never really got to, and that is, it's often phrased this way, questions often phrased this way, if someone uh, who sins against me never repents of that sin, do I have to forgive him? Now, when we ask the question that way, it, it betrays the fact that we've gone wrong right from the very start. Uh, we've turned left when we should have turned right. We're going in the exact opposite direction of where we should go. Why? Because as we discussed in our first lesson, we are to forgive as God forgives. And God does not forgive us just because he has to. Some, some kind of begrudging forgiveness. Well, he repented and was baptized, so I guess I have to forgive him. That's not how God forgives sins. Um, and when we fail to repent, God is certainly not happy that then he doesn't have to forgive us. So we need to follow the divine model on this. Uh, the fa father of the prodigal son did not turn to that elder brother and say, Oh no, your brother's coming back. Now I have to forgive him. No, he ran down the road to meet that returning son. Christians should never seek an excuse not to forgive someone. Instead, if we determine that we must withhold forgiveness for some reason, and that's the question we're going to look at tonight, uh, that should sadden us. Uh, we should always be ready to forgive and longing to forgive and wanting to forgive. I think a better question to ask would be this. If someone never repents, must I refrain from forgiving him? Uh, or perhaps should I refrain from forgiving him? We'll talk about that distinction. But that question's much closer to the example of God. God does not forgive begrudgingly. He longs to forgive. God is not sorry when someone repents and then he has to forgive them. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That's 2 Peter 3, 9, and that needs to be our attitude as well. Uh, the angels rejoice when a sinner repents, Luke 15, verse 10, which suggests that they are sad when one does not repent. God does not want anyone to perish. Can we say that as well? If not, then we have strayed pretty far from that example that God left us to follow. So our question tonight is whether repentance must precede forgiveness, uh, or perhaps whether it should precede forgiveness. Um, that distinction between must and should um, may lead us to look for some other distinctions. And I think that would be helpful to begin this question, is looking at some distinctions in the Bible that I think would be helpful to us on this concept of forgiveness. 
Uh, in our last lesson, we talked about how forgiveness is, is a tricky subject. It's a difficult subject, and it's, it's not one that we should treat lightly. It's one we really need to take a deep dive into the Bible and see what it has to say on that subject. And I think much of the confused commentary on the issue of forgiveness has been caused by a failure to, to recognize certain important distinctions in the Bible. Now, some of these distinctions are, are vital and some of them perhaps less so, but I think it's, it's important for us to at least look at all of these before we launch into that question. The first distinction is that there is a difference between our forgiveness by God and our forgiveness of others. While forgiveness by God should be our model for our forgiveness of others, um, there is a vast difference between those two things, God forgiving us and us forgiving someone else. Uh, God is holy and sin cannot enter into his presence. Uh, God can read the thoughts of others. He can read the intents of someone's heart. Um, God sent his only begotten son to pay the cost of forgiveness. Uh, none of that is true of us. There's a big difference between our forgiveness of others and God's forgiveness of us. And as we study this topic of forgiveness, I think we need to have the same attitude that Joseph had in Genesis chapter 50 when he forgave his brothers. And you'll recall in verse 19, he asked the question, am I in the place of God? Uh, Joseph was not and neither are we. We are not in the place of God. A second distinction is that there's a difference between conditional forgiveness and unconditional forgiveness. In fact, that is really the basis for the question we're gonna to get to eventually tonight. Um, we know that not all forgiveness is unconditional because God has placed conditions on forgiveness of man. If all forgiveness were unconditional, then all men would be saved. Why? Because we know it's not God's will that any should perish. Uh, the fact that many will in fact perish, Matthew 7 verse 14, tells us there must be some condition on receiving forgiveness from God. And in fact, it's a condition that sadly most people do not meet. The issue tonight is whether our forgiveness of others is also conditional or is instead perhaps unconditional. But there is a distinction between those two types of forgiveness. The third distinction is that there's a difference between a sin against man and a sin against God. All sin is a sin against God, but not every sin that a man commits is against another person. Uh, for example, some sins that we commit are against ourselves, uh, 1 Corinthians 6, 18. And some are only against God. That distinction leads to a question, can there be a sin against man when there is no sin against God? And that question leads to our next distinction, number four, there's a difference between sins and annoyances. Um, Luke 17, three through four, which we'll refer to several times tonight, says, take heed to yourself. If thy brother trespass against thee, rebuke him. And if he repent, forgive him. And if he trespass against thee seven times in a day, and seven times in a day, turn again to thee saying, I repent, thou shalt forgive him. One commentary I read applied Luke 17 to the friend who forgets your birthday and to the wife who forgets the dry cleaning. No, no, those actions aren't sins, right? I mean, there's nothing to forgive there. At most, they're just annoyances, if that. And if such actions offend us, then our problem is not a misunderstanding about forgiveness. Our problem is a self-centeredness and a lack of spiritual maturity. It's not forgiveness, but there's another Christian word, I think, that covers annoyances, and that's forbearance. We are to forbear with one another. Um, 
for an actual sin, we rebuke and follow the procedure of Luke chapter 17. For an annoyance, the better procedure is to overlook it and get over it. Uh, and you know what? The ease of forbearing an annoyance is directly proportional to our love toward the person that caused the annoyance. Forbearance is a test of our love. What does that great chapter on love have to say about annoyances? 1 Corinthians 13, verse 5, love is not easily provoked. 1 Peter 4, verse 8, verse 8 charity shall cover the multitude of sins. Colossians 3, 13 through 15, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. Those are two separate things, forbearing and forgiving. I think the more Christ-like we become, the less annoyed we become with other people. You don't see Jesus being annoyed with other people, do you? The less we see intent directed against us where none exist, I think that also will occur the more we become like Christ. Remember, we're not God. We can't read someone's thoughts and look into their heart. But when the offense is more than just an annoyance, but rather is a sin that could separate that person from God, then we do that person no favor by overlooking that which God will not overlook. That is anything but loving, but rather may simply be our own desire to avoid the confrontation that's also commanded in Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17 verse 3 says rebuke him. That's a command just like the command to forgive. So that's an important distinction. The next one, number five, there's a difference between being the sinner, sinner and being the word I made up, the sin-e. If as a Christian we've been sinned against, and there are certain procedures laid out in Scripture that we must follow. And if as a Christian we have sinned against another, then once again there are certain things in Scripture we must do. We must repent, we must seek forgiveness, and we must respond appropriately when our brother comes to us and brings that matter to our attention. And each side needs to keep in mind that, that the great offense in the mind of one party may not be recognized as such by the other. Again, we can't look into their heart and see their intent, and there most likely was no intent there to start with. What is your reaction when someone comes to you and says, I forgive you, and yet you don't think there's anything to forgive? I mean, doesn't that in fact heighten, heighten the, uh, the controversy and lead to a bigger battle? Um, Yes, that type of misunderstanding may be caused by the callousness of the offender, but it also might be caused by the paranoia of the one who is so easily offended. So we need to keep that distinction in mind. Number six, there's a difference between forgiving and being willing to forgive, ready to forgive, eager to forgive. Similarly, there's a difference between withholding forgiveness and having an unforgiving spirit. Those are different things. Again, God is our model here. God desires to forgive everyone, and God is ready and eager to forgive everyone, but God does not forgive everyone. In fact, the same verse that tells us God loves everyone in this world also tells us that God does not forgive everyone in this world, John 3.16. God wants to forgive them, 2 Peter 3, verse 9, but he does not, John 3.16. Likewise, we must always be willing to forgive. We must be ready and eager to forgive. That's the example of God. It's certainly possible, in fact, maybe it's most common uh, for men to withhold forgiveness because they have no desire to forgive. But that's not the model of Scripture. We should have the desire to forgive. And if we're withholding forgiveness, it needs to be for another reason 
It needs to be motivated by love. We'll get to that in a moment. Number seven, there's a difference between forgiving someone who's still living and forgiving someone who is dead. You know, many of the headline-grabbing acts of forgiveness, and we've seen them, um, usually involve statements of forgiveness of the dead. Um, for example, back when the Virginia Tech gunman or some of the other mass murderers uh, shot up somewhere, you'll, you'll see you know, uh, statements of, we forgive you, uh, always made by those who were not killed. Uh, and you know, those attention-grabbing headlines are usually often directed toward those who are dead. Well, after the person's death, that offender is beyond our ability to either direct them toward God or away from God. That person's eternal destiny is set at the moment of their death. Um, repentance, either to God or to man, uh, is no longer an option. Although, as with the rich man and Lazarus, uh, it, there may be a great desire to repent. It's no longer an option. Uh, if the person is dead, and if that person has died in an unrepentant state outside of Christ, then that person is lost. We can't pray them into heaven at their funeral. And could we, in such a situation, really hold a grudge against such a person when that person is suffering a penalty we would never wish on anybody if they've died outside of Christ? That alone should... should, should should tell us how we should deal and how we should consider someone who has died, who perhaps sinned greatly against us, but then who died outside of Christ. If God does not desire that any should perish, that must be our attitude as well. We must be sorrowful when they do perish. We should feel sadness, not bitterness, but sadness. Whatever we do, we should not by our actions or by our words give the world a false impression that that person who died outside of Christ will somehow be okay because that is just not the case. And with regard to those recent headlines that we've all seen, perhaps rather than rushing to forgive the deceased offender, as many did, perhaps we could take the opportunity to use that person as a lesson that murderers will not inherit the kingdom of God, Galatians 5.21. Distinction number eight, there's a difference between forgiving someone you know and forgiving someone you've never even met. Um, you know, it's certainly possible for a stranger to sin against us, perhaps greatly against us, but those procedures we see in Scripture, they're directed toward brothers. How do we know that? Well, the goal is reconciliation, and there can be no reconciliation unless there is a pre-existing relationship with that person. It's being restored. So there's a distinction in the Scripture between those two things. Number nine, there's a difference between forgiveness by a Christian to another Christian versus forgiveness by a Christian to a non-Christian. Now, here's a tough question. Should we ever forgive someone whom God has not forgiven? Well, either the answer to that question is yes, or we should never forgive a non-Christian who sins against us and against God. Well, some might argue that our forgiveness should extend only to Christians because Christians are the only ones to whom God extends forgiveness. Uh, in fact, as I said, Luke 17 talks about a brother who sins against us. Uh, others, including myself, would argue that if there is repentance towards us by that person, then we should forgive the sin as it relates to us and leave it to God to handle the sin as it relates to God. That path seems the better approach if there is repentance. Why? Because it presents a model of the gospel to that person, doesn't it? It presents a model of the gospel to that unbeliever and perhaps will lead them to then obtain the forgiveness they need from God. 
we should pray and even suggest that their repentance to us would lead to repentance to God, against whom they remain an enemy. But if we grant forgiveness to that person absent repentance, then what does that say about the gospel? Might that not have the opposite effect? One famous atheist said this on his deathbed, God will forgive me, it's his business. If they have not repented to us, what is the hope that they will repent to God? And if we forgive them absent repentance, what sort of gospel are we proclaiming to that person? And what biblical example are we following when we purport to forgive an openly rebellious sinner who gives every impression of continuing in that rebellion? Was the church ever told to forgive their Roman persecutors? Did Paul forgive the false apostles who were slandering him all over Corinth? Whatever we do, we need to remember throughout that the offender in question is in a rebellion against God, our Father, and we need to be careful how we respond to their offense against us. If we, in our forgiveness of them, leave them with the false impression that God has forgiven them outside of Christ, then our so-called loving act of forgiveness is, in fact, ushering them straight into hell, isn't it? Our goal with some, someone with outside the church, our goal with anyone outside of the church, should be to get them inside the church. And whatever we do in response to their offense against us should have that goal in mind. Number 10, there's a difference between forgiveness based on love and forgiveness based on other motives. Sometimes we may forgive just to do more harm to our opponent. It's been said there's no revenge so complete as forgiveness. Another said, always forgive your enemies, nothing annoys them so much. Well, that, that may be humorous, but that's not the biblical model of forgiveness. Um, Sometimes I think we forgive not because we love the offender, but because we just want the offender to go away, also not the biblical model. Um, sometimes we may forgive just to avoid a confrontation, and yet Luke 17, verses 3 and 4 requires a rebuke. Matthew 18, verse 15 requires us to go until our brother is fault. Those commands for confrontation are just as much commands as in the command that we forgive. Well, what should be our motivation? Well, God is love, First John 4, verse 8. God forgives us because he loves, and God withholds forgiveness. Why? Because he loves. It's the same motivation. Whatever we do, our motivation must be love, love of God, love of his people, love of those who are outside of Christ, love of those who need to obey the gospel. Love must be our motive. So now let's get back to our question. Can we forgive absent repentance? And notice I use the word can there rather than should. Our attitude should be that of God, a longing to forgive. If we can forgive, then we should forgive. But can we forgive absent repentance and be pleasing to God? <clears throat> Let's look at some common arguments, both by those who think it's, we must forgive absent repentance and those who think we cannot forgive absent repentance. See what they have to say. Let me start with the ones since we may run out of time. Let's start with the arguments favoring the need for repentance. Here are some arguments supporting the view, which is also my view, that repentance is required prior to forgiveness. I think that's the biblical model. Number one, we're to forgive as God forgives. We are to forgive as we ourselves have been forgiven. We read those verses last time in our first lesson, and we are not forgiven absent repentance. If we go around dispensing unconditional forgiveness, then what sort of gospel are we proclaiming? 
Are we really called to say, no matter what you've done to me and no matter how you feel about it now, I forgive you? Where is there any support in Scripture for such an attitude? Number two, we're to follow the model given by Jesus in Luke 17, verses 3 and 4, and that model requires repentance. And note that the forgiveness and repentance in Luke 17 are preceded by something else, a rebuke, a rebuke. If we're to rebuke first, then how can we be required to forgive absent repentance? What is the purpose then of the rebuke? What sense does it make to come up to someone and say, I rebuke you and I forgive you? <laughs> With nothing in between. Number three, what God does is good. We know that. And God withholds forgiveness absent repentance. When we do the same thing, it's also good. If a Christian sins against us and against God, then what is the consequence if we forgive that person prior to their repentance? What happens is that we find ourselves in a situation where we've forgiven the person, but God has not. And what that means is that we cannot bring that up, that sin up to that person's attention. Why? Because we've supposedly forgiven it. We can't bring it up to their attention again, which means we can't tell them they need to seek forgiveness from God for that very sin. We're unable to urge the person to repent to God as they must. Our early improper forgiveness hinders our ability to help that person become right with God. In short, forgiveness before repentance puts the cart before the horse. Forgiveness absent repentance can do much more harm than good. Don't we know of situations in our own lives when the best thing we could do for someone was not to forgive them absent that repentance and that that helped them, helped them see the error of their ways? The phrase tough love has often been used to describe such an action. It is a loving action, and sometimes it can be very hard on us as well. On the surface, it may appear harsh, it may appear unloving, but it's not, isn't it? Isn't cheap forgiveness sometimes the easy way out? And at whose expense? Isn't it at the expense of the offender? Sin has consequences, and we do no one any favor when we ignore those consequences. Those consequences are intended to teach others and to teach ourselves and, and prevent a repetition of sin by the offender. When we refuse to forgive the unrepentant, we may lead that person to experience godly sorrow, which does what? Leading to repentance. 2 Corinthians 7, 9 and 10, Now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that you sorrowed to repentance, for you were made sorry after a godly manner, that you might receive damage by us in nothing. For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. Godly sorrow leadeth to repentance. Will cheap, easy, quick forgiveness lead anyone to godly sorrow? Number four, some argue it's not even possible to forgive absent repentance. A guy in woods, in response to the question, is it our duty to forgive those who sin against us when they neither ask for nor want forgiveness? He said the following, it is not only not our duty to do so, it is an utter impossibility. He argues that forgiveness necessarily involves a restoration of a peaceful relationship following an interruption because of that offense. And unless the offender wants that restored relationship, it's impossible for the offended to affect it, however he might desire it and seek it. That's what Guy and Wood says. I think it makes some sense. 
So can there be forgiveness that is not followed by a restoration of the former relationship? We must believe the answer is yes if we believe in unconditional forgiveness because it takes both parties to effect a restoration of that former relationship. The goal of that forgiveness is reconciliation. Matthew 18, verse 15, what does it say there at the end? You have won who? You have won your brother. That's reconciliation with your brother. Number five, why is there a procedure to take problems before the church if we're to forgive without regard to repentance? If forgiveness is unconditional, then the entire process of church discipline outlined in Matthew 18 would seem to be impossible. How can unconditional forgiveness be applied along with a procedure in which a brother is confronted and then only one if he hears you, which is what Matthew 18 says. Why is there a command in Luke 17 that we rebuke the, the offender and a command in Matthew 18 that we go and tell the offender his fault if the, if the forgiveness is supposed to be unconditional? The goal of the confrontation is to convince the offender to repent so that they can be forgiven by you and by God. And doesn't that precisely follow the biblical model of our own forgiveness? Aren't we then forgiving as we were forgiven? 2 Timothy 3.16 tells us the Bible was given in part for our reproof. What is that but a rebuke? We read the scripture, we get the divine rebuke, and then we know we must repent. If we're to forgive absent repentance, then how can any procedure be inserted between the sin and the forgiveness? The forgiveness then would be immediate if it's unconditional. If we delay in offering unconditional forgiveness, then what's the basis for such a delay? And is that delay also a sin? And what about a continuing sin or a repeating sin? When do we grant our unconditional forgiveness? In the middle of the sin or at the end of the sin? And how do we know when it ends? Luke 17, what happens with that sin? It repeats seven times. Each time there's forgiveness, following repentance. There's seven acts of sin, there's seven acts of repentance, there's seven acts of forgiveness. And if forgiveness is unconditional and I sin against someone, then why should I bother to go to that person and seek forgiveness? Why do I need to go to them at all? Why don't I just grant them that unconditional forgiveness and then go about my life? That's not helpful to me, it's not helpful to them, and it's not following the scriptural model. In short, unconditional forgiveness is just unworkable. It's unworkable, and it does not seem to me that those who advocate it have really thought through all the consequences of it. And if they have, I haven't explained it to me that I can see what their reasoning is. Number six, human government is set up by God and is instructed by God. Why? Not to offer unconditional forgiveness, but rather to execute wrath on those that do evil. Romans 13, 1 through 4 talks about it. It does not bear the sword in vain. That's talking about capital punishment. So, in fact, governments have been set up, in fact, to deal with criminals. And, again, it's not to forgive them. It's to, uh, to execute wrath on those that do evil. Number seven, unless we take the position that a Christian is commanded to forgive any and everyone without any conditions, then there must be a line dividing those whom we forgive and those whom we must not forgive. And in the Bible, that line is repentance. If there is a line, then where would we draw that line other than at repentance? What other line is given in Scripture and is in accord with how God forgives? And what other line makes sense? What other line is even workable? Well, some might argue that our forgiveness of brothers in Christ should be unconditional, while our forgiveness of those outside Christ should be conditional. But Luke 17 deals with brothers. 
deals with those in Christ. The example of conditional forgiveness in that chapter deals with those in the church. One final comment on that is that, yes, repentance is the line between those whom God forgives and those whom God does not forgive, but we know more is, than in, is involved than just repentance. Uh, one must obey the gospel. But repentance is the first action a person must take after hearing the gospel. They must turn around completely away from their former life. That's the first action. And absent repentance, that baptism is just a bath. There has to be repentance preceding it. But with repentance, and then with faith, and then with confession, and with baptism, then the forgiveness is granted, and it is conditional forgiveness, and we are to forgive as God has forgiven us. Briefly, in the few minutes that remain, let me give a little equal footing to some of the arguments we hear uh, on the other side of the coin. And there are some who say we just need to forgive everybody without any conditions, without any need for repentance. And their first argument is often that well, yes, God does not forgive absent repentance, but perhaps God expects us to forgive everyone nonetheless. Uh, why? Well, because God knows the heart and we do not. Uh, and that last statement is certainly true, but I don't think that previous statement is in accord with Scripture. Uh, again, go back to Luke 17. Uh, that verse tells us that repentance precedes forgiveness. And yes, there is a sense, there is a sense in which our actions must be based on the fact that we cannot look into that person's heart. And that is discussed in Luke 17, but it's not with forgiveness, it's with repentance. How many times does that person in one day sin against that person and then repent? Seven times. Believe me, if someone did the same thing to me seven times in a day and came back and repented seven times, I would be tempted to start questioning their sincerity. But that's not what Luke 17 says. If they come back and repent, you're to say, okay, you've repented, I forgive you. We leave the question of sincerity up to God. Number two, some verses on forgiveness say nothing about repentance, but rather seem to suggest that our forgiveness should be unconditional. And they'll cite things such as Mark 11, 25 and 26, Luke 11, verse 4, Matthew 18, verse 35, which do say forgive. And they don't say anything about repentance. But you know, those aren't the only passages in the Bible that deal with, repent, with forgiveness. There's others that we've read that say you must repent first. And in fact, there's a rule in, in legal interpretation, which is also a rule of biblical hermeneutics, and that is the specific governs the general. If there's a specific verse that deals with something, then it governs the general verse. We see that with regard to salvation when it comes to the necessity of baptism. There are some verses that talk about salvation that don't mention baptism, but they're not the only verses in the Bible that talk about salvation. And when we look at all the verses, we find that baptism is essential. That's the same thing with forgiveness and repentance. Number three, we must always be willing to forgive, and if we're willing to forgive, then we will forgive. That argument is sometimes made. But what's the basis for that? God is always willing to forgive, and he doesn't always forgive. So why can't we do the same thing and also be, uh, be right with God in doing that? Number four, you'll sometimes hear, well, forgiveness of others is healthy for us. It allows us to get over our feelings of bitterness and resentment that we might otherwise have. Um, one, one person wrote, it really doesn't matter if the person who hurt you deserves to be forgiven. Forgiveness is a gift you give yourself. That is not the biblical view of forgiveness. Uh, the Bible does not view forgiveness as an end in itself or some therapeutic technique involved for our benefit. That's not forgiveness. The goal of forgiveness is reconciliation. Between brother and brother, between, with God and man, that's the goal of this. Um, 
The goal of forgiveness should be toward the offender, not toward ourselves. True, we're not to become bitter, and true, we're not to seek vengeance, but that's different from forgiveness. Number five, you'll often hear the offender wins if we don't forgive them. That's related to number four there. Is that true with God? Do sinners win when God does not forgive them? The offender may win if we ruin our physical and spiritual health and bitterness and vengeance, but those are dealt with by other verses, aren't they? They were not to be bitter, and we're to leave vengeance to God. Our motivation should be love. Number six, we'll often hear, well, it's loving to forgive, and we must always be loving. John 3.16, God loves everybody, but he does not forgive everybody. So it is false, false, that the opposite of forgiveness is, uh, is un- being unloving. And number seven, we sometimes hear when we forgive unconditionally, we're seen as different, and that action provides a powerful message to the world. Well, I'll agree that if we go around forgiving everyone unconditionally, we're, we're sending a message to the world, but the question is, is that the right message we should be sending to the world? And I would say it is not the right message we should be sending to the world because it is not the gospel message. Uh, if we follow God's word, then believe me, there's going to be no danger of our blending into this world. Um, Further, in today's world where condition-free forgiveness shows up on posters while the news cameras are still filming the pools of blood from the latest atrocity, perhaps the best way we could be different would be to withhold forgiveness absent repentance in a world where forgiveness has become cheap and easy. And I think that's the biblical model. Sorry, I've gone over a few minutes. Um, If you have any questions, please come up to me afterwards or send me an email or something. Be happy to discuss it with you. Uh, Thank you very much for your attention. Let's stand for our closing prayer. The views expressed on this program are those of the guests and not necessarily the views of management and staff of OBS Radio, OBS International, and Greater Works Business Services. Guests who appear on this podcast are not required to pay a fee and is made possible by RadioGuestList.com. For more information, please visit our website at www.obsintl.cf. Follow OBS on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash Broadcast section. If you want to contribute financially to help us continue broadcasting, please go to paypal.me.obsintl. Thanks for tuning in. We will see you next time. This is OBS Radio, a service of OBS International, a division of Greater Works Business Services.